Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. We hope you enjoyed this segment from our 2022 Boise Reformation Conference with Dr. Joel Beakey and Dr. Derek Thomas as they answer questions about the church. All right, next question. Uh, Doctor, well, r- real quickly, Dr. Thomas, how long have you been um, in the church as a Christian? You said 40 years, 50 years? Uh, I've been a Christian for 50 years, okay. uh, 50 years last December. And then, Dr. Bicky, your whole life, you were raised in the church. Well, I was converted when I was 14 okay. in Yellowstone National Park. Okay. And I took my wife. I saw a bear. Huh? Did you see a bear? What, what, what was it? I saw the Lord. Yeah. yeah. It's a very small event that happened to me from every other human perspective, but I had been really, really searching for God. I'd been under some conviction of sin, and I took a long trip with my, my brother and another friend, 8,000 miles, went to the Rocky Mountains. I was trying to feel the reality of God there, and it yeah, worked a little bit, but... When we came back to Yellowstone National Park, we woke up on a Saturday morning. It's really a bizarre small thing, but we couldn't find the keys anywhere. My parents let me go only on the basis that we would be in one of our denominational churches every Lord's Day. So we had 600 miles to go that day, and we had to get up early to leave. We couldn't find the keys. We lifted up our sleeping bags a couple times, couldn't find them. They went out into the woods to try to find a stick to open up the trunk. They think one of them must have dropped the keys in the trunk. I went back into the tent, just fell on my face, and I said, oh, Lord. I really gave a Gideon's fleece. I said, Lord, if thou art the living God, I long for communion with thee. and Give me a sign by showing me where these keys are. And Were you using these and thous at 14 years old? Oh, of course. I grew up in that atmosphere. <laughs> Everybody used the endows at that time. Everybody. Um, and oh, by the way, when you use the endows, my son came to, our son came to me at 13 years of age, and he said, Dad, you want to know what my, what my favorite author is? I go, sure. He goes, it's John Owen. I said, you don't have any trouble reading John Owen? Trouble reading John Owen, he says. Why would you have trouble reading John Owen? Why? Well, he, he grew up in the school and the home and the church with these and thousand and all the old language. Today, people can't even read Matthew Henry because they don't know any of the old language. Well, that's, I'm getting sidetracked. So what, what, what happened then is I, 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 I earnestly was searching for God. That's the main point. And, but when I got up from my knees, I felt something hard underneath, lift up, sleep, and make. At, there were the keys. Now, at that very moment in my life, I became a totally lost sinner before God. God became more real to me than the, ch- the church pews were, the chairs were sitting in. And I got in the back seat of the car. We drove that 600 miles. I wept 
the whole way. I saw myself as a, hanging over the pit of hell. I wasted 14 years of my life. I got back home. I told all my friends, I said, I cannot be your friend anymore until I find the living God. And I, I hold myself up in my bedroom every night. I read the Bible from cover to cover several times. I read my dad's entire bookcase, entire bookcase of Puritan books. He let me mark up in them. I, I made marks. I made question marks. I just was searching for God. And we finally got a minister after 41 years of vacancy who was very gospel-centered. And uh, he said to my grandfather one night, for you too, there's a possibility of a way of escape in Christ Jesus our Lord. And at that moment, the burden fell off my back. I felt just like Bunyan. And I saw that there was a finally a full way of escape for me in Jesus Christ. I didn't know the words passive obedience or active obedience, but I saw it. I saw that he obeyed the law fully for me. He paid fully for my sins. I went to bed that night just rejoicing I was, well, almost like a Pentecostal, I guess. My hands were up in the air crying, praising God till three o'clock in the morning. I couldn't stop talking to God and listening to his voice. It was just, a, there was a constant stream of communion. I went down and I knocked on my dad's bedroom door and I got him out of bed at three o'clock in the morning and said, I've been saved. My sins are washed away. Well, that was the beginning. But it began in Yellowstone National Park. Okay, that was just the setup to the question. <laughs> Oh, okay. okay, so so both of you have been in the church 50 plus years. What is the hardest thing that you have experienced in the in local church life and how did you overcome it? Uh, two things. Um, I was in Ireland uh, from 78 to 96 at the time of the the troubles, uh, the IRA, uh, the bombings, the shootings. So I visited the home of a widow of a policeman who'd been shot 38 times in his back. But the worst one was um, a family, not in my congregation, but in, a, in our denomination, a sister congregation in my denomination. But I, I knew the family. They'd only recently come to faith let me, let me guess that it was no more than six or seven years. And their four-year-old daughter was abducted and was missing for several weeks. And then uh, they found her body. Uh, she'd been molested and uh, her body had been thrown into a lake. And uh, they, they didn't catch the perpetrator until maybe six or seven years ago. It had been like 25 years uh, that, that they didn't know who that person was. But to watch them, to watch the parents, to go to the house uh, the evening she went missing and to see their faith, rock solid faith. I remember at the funeral when the body was eventually discovered, there were, I'm gonna guess, there were five to 6,000 people carrying her coffin up a very tiny, narrow lane towards the graveyard. And it was about a mile from where the church was. Um, yeah, in both instances, I, I realized that it wasn't me going to minister to them. It was actually them hmm. ministering to me. Yeah. Um, 
that God had given to them extraordinary faith. Now, that's not to say that in the weeks and years, in the case of the little girl, their faith was tested. And especially when they found him, so all of those wounds were reopened once again. Um, but the times when I dread ministry are times when Christians behave badly. But the times when you sort of dread, this is going to be hard because it's going to be emotionally difficult. Actually, I've, I've always come away from those having been ministered to. Dr. Bickey? Yeah. Uh, the Puritans used to say that God would normally lead ministers through deep ways in the ministry to make them more, more useful and more compassionate as counselors and pastors. And I, I believe that's happened to me. I've, I've been brought through some very, very deep ways personally in ministry. And the hardest for me personally was uh, our denominational split. And I was the center of the object of that. And that was a six-year trial. And a few people were doing everything they could to get me deposed. It was agony. And there were times I could give it over to the Lord. Times I would be crawling on my study. You know, that old shag carpet. <laughs> I'd be pulling at the shag carpet, just crying out to God, literally crawling on the ground for mercy. It was unspeakable. Sweet times of communion with God and times where I thought my whole world was going to implode. And they finally, they finally won the battle. And during those years, I, if I wasn't 100% sure I was called to ministry, I would have, I would have quit many times. But um, I just couldn't quit. So I, I'd go and preach, and God would help me in preaching. I'd stand on the pulpit. I, I couldn't even raise my two hands to pronounce a benediction without leaning my body against the pulpit because I felt like I was going to faint all the time. But I just had to preach. And um, the amazing thing when I look back is I saw more conversions under my ministry in those six years than any other time in my life. It's just, it was a, I call it a mini revival. Uh, yeah, there's a hundred or more people in my church that were converted in those years from nominal members to true, true members. Uh, and then I thought my world ended when I really was deposed. But to my astonishment, 78%, we had exactly 1,000 members at the time, 78% of the congregation voted to stay with us. But then we were forced to start a new denomination, which I didn't want to do at all. And then God turned everything around and he closed what I thought was about the only door of my life and he opened up a thousand bigger ones. And, and, and he just brought good out of evil. He restored the years the locusts have eaten. So God's been incredibly good to me and uh, gave me just a wonderful wife and a wonderful family. And I just... I, Every day I'm just amazed at his goodness to me. But I also endured some, I also went through some deep trials like, like Derek, uh, a couple with, with individual families and so on. Um, 
Two weeks after I was ordained as a minister at 25 years of age, a school bus went over a hill in Rock Valley, Iowa, and um, picked off a 13-year-old girl. It was a member of the church I was a moderator of, and uh, she died instantly. And I, I was so young, I'd never seen any funeral except my own grandfather's. I'd never done a funeral. And um, I went to visit the mourning family. I still see that 13-year-old body laying there in the coffin like it was yesterday. And I sat down next to the parents, and I couldn't do anything but cry. I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I just couldn't open the Bible yet, and I just cried with them for quite a long time. And I, it was overwhelming. And then um, another minister walked in the door from another congregation. He was so composed and he was so professional and he was so good and he opened the Bible and he prayed with them. And I felt so worthless, such a failure. But two days later, I got a note from the family. Thank you for sitting with us and crying with us. <laughs> and I, it was like a light bulb went on in my mind. You know, God brings pastors through these difficult times to learn compassion. You can't learn compassion if you're not there with people. And then in my own church, early on in my own church, I've been in Grand Rapids for 36 years. And one of the early years, there was a man who walked into an office and, and killed one of the most godly young men in our church, shot him. And um, I got a call right away from the father, or the, yeah, the father of the man. And um, he just heard it from his daughter-in-law so I went right away, and I got there before the father-in-law got there, and I was alone with this young widow with a whole bunch of children, and that, that was unforgettable. Such a godly man. In fact, we had hoped he was, he was being, in the process of being called to the ministry, and these things shape and mold you. But I agree with what Derek said. There are certain people in your congregation, when they go through trials, that are so far above and beyond you as a minister in their walk of faith that they pastor you more than you pastor them. And they're a huge blessing.